on the Arts Report. A review of the Folk Festival. OCW relaunch party. Three plays come to the carousel. And Kinky Friedman comes to the Biltmore. All right, hello, and welcome to the Arts Report for July 21st here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online on the interwebs at citr.ca. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and today we have um, a very, very full show, uh, due in part to the fact that uh, we had a great weekend at the Folkfest. CITR had a booth set up um, on the grounds of uh, Jericho Jericho Park, and uh, we did a lot of uh, live broadcasting, and we had a, a huge team, a huge army of, um, of broadcasters and contributors who were uh, sent into the field, deployed, if you will, to, um, to interview artists as well as vendors and, uh, and people alike. So today we're going to celebrate uh, the Folk Festival with um, a sampling of, um, of said interviews with said people. Um, so we're going to have an interview with uh, Calexico. And we'll also have an interview with Shane Koizan and his band, The Short Story Long. Um, they, uh, we had a lovely chat, as you'll hear very soon. Uh, and then if we have time, we'll give you a little, uh, a little flavor of the, of the festival and uh, a few interviews with, uh, with, with patrons and, uh, and vendors. So we have that. And then uh, we have another uh, segment, as we did last week, on the OCW relaunch party. What was once known as the One Cool Word magazine is now just OCW, and they're going to celebrate it like nobody's business on Friday. And uh, last week we spoke spoke to Vincent Parker about it. And uh, this week we are talking to uh, Tracy, who is the who is the head honcho um, at OCW, and she's going to give us um, a better idea of what uh, OCW is all about ahead of their big um, big party on Friday. And then we also have three shows coming to three plays, I should say, coming to the uh, Carousel Theater next week. Uh, one of which is by Samuel Beckett. And uh, whenever Beckett shows come to Vancouver, it's always uh, a treat. So uh, we'll find out about those three plays. And I also have an interview with Kinky Friedman, who is a, a veteran uh, singer, songwriter, um, novel writer, uh, failed politician, that is to say... That is to say, he ran for politics. He ran for the uh, governor of Texas twice and failed. And... Um, is a really interesting cat, and uh, so we'll have an interview with him because he's coming to the Biltmore um, on either this Friday or next Friday. I, th- I believe it's this. Uh, oh, sorry, I think it's on Monday. So we have that, and uh, we also have tickets to give away, including to China Tea Deal Three, which is at the Dr. Sun Yat Sen Gardens. We did an interview on this last week. And uh, we have a pair of tickets to give away. The show runs every Friday and Saturday for the whole summer. And we have tickets, uh, magic tickets, if you will, enchanted tickets uh, that can be used for either the Friday or the, the Saturday um, showings for, for any date uh, from now till the, the end of the summer. So uh, get, your, get your dialing fingers ready for that. Um, and much, much more. I'm babbling much more than I, than I planned to because uh, the show is so full and uh, I really don't want to go over time. So uh, we, should, uh, we should get on it. So coming up first in our folk festival review extravaganza is uh, Calexico. Our contributor, uh, Brenda Gruno did an interview with this uh, folk darling band who are uh, doing a tour of uh, North America right now and stopped by at the, at the Folk Fest. And um, so, yeah, let's just launch right into it. Here is Brenda with Calexico. This is Brenda at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, and I'm here with Joey from Calexico, and they just had their warm-up on stage. And uh, welcome to Vancouver. Thank you, Brenda. It's nice to be here. It's beautiful out. Great. So I just wanted to ask you a bit about... Uh, You've had a whole bunch of influences in your band and a whole variety of musicians you've worked with. Sort of what were the, what were the beginnings of Calexico and, and how did you find these amazing musicians to work with? Well, let's see, the beginnings go back to 1990. John Convertino, the drummer, and myself uh, met in Los Angeles um, by playing in a band called Giant Sand, um, which is a band from Arizona. 
kind of a desert rock band from the 80s and 90s and still still going on and uh kind of thought hey why don't we just start you know recording some sounds that you don't normally hear these days and that led to being in a band called the friends of dean martin mm -hmm. and we were on sub pop they made a change their name to martinez friends of dean martinez because of the basically dean martin who was still alive then his manager mort vine threatened to uh to charge us with some kind of lawsuit we didn't want that that ill will from someone who had given us so much inspiration so from there you know we did a lot of sound we did a lot of uh, um, instrumentals lounge music uh, we were playing rock music backing up singer songwriters and we just started writing our own songs and instrumentals and recording at home and that led to meeting other musicians while traveling and putting out records We still do a lot of collaborations. We back up people from everyone from Nico Case to Iron and Wine, Pieta Brown, um, Willie Nelson from time to time. You know, we, we, we've managed to get involved with soundtracks sometimes. And so we've been really fortunate to kind of have a lot of diversity in our arsenal and in our um, bag of tricks. Great. So do you put out albums of your songs when you just when you feel like it or is it more about the collaboration and finding artists to work on new projects with well i'm always a fan of collaborations but we we kind of do equal parts uh equal parts soundtrack collectible records backing up other artists on collaborations um touring really does help get you out there to to meet other people you know mm -hmm. like i mean just this festival alone and getting to see the Abbott brothers again maybe getting a chance to hang out with them would be great um some of the artists from from molly on the same stage are going to be wonderful to see i've heard so much about them um so yeah i mean you know it's it's that combination of everything so you don't get sometimes if you do one thing for so long it tends to have a shorter life this way everything has a longer lifespan for sure Okay, so I saw you guys play in Toronto uh, with Iron and Wine and heard you talk about how your songwriting style was shifting from being more instrumental and improvisational to sort of the inference of Iron and Wine towards a more simpler songwriting narrative style. Um, how, how have you evolved since then? I think I've, I've gone every which way I possibly can. <laughs> no, I mean, Sam is such a good friend and a big inspiration and um, I know that originally I was not trying to, to write songs in the first person mm -hmm. and I think playing with him and, and and some others too have really helped me kind of you know embrace those kind of songs and uh, yeah we've done a lot of um, on the newest record Carried to Dust there's some influences from other writers as well um Jacob Valenzuela, the trumpet player who's born and raised in Tucson, um, he wrote this beautiful song called Inspiration. And on there, there's a, there's a duet with a singer from Spain named Amparo Sanchez. And so for me, I think it's that openness in, in seeing what the possibilities can be if you just kind of step, take a step back. And it allows you to, to think about your role, either as a singer or songwriter or just a guitar player or co-producer what, what have you but I think the songwriting style is changing it's it's um, it's really open and right now I was trying to think what to do for a new record I haven't written any songs yet but I was thinking you know what if you were to write a, a, an album all of love songs that have nothing to do with the love between necessarily like the traditional sense of the love song it could be the love of you know birds or <laughs> or architecture or something your favorite novel your favorite novel the love of you know your favorite food or or you know i mean it could be as as corny as that but i mean it could be a, a lot more open for uh, for abstract lyrics which is what i love the most <laughs> mm -hmm. but there'd be this theme underneath that is they're they're love songs but they're not maybe they're not your traditional kind mm -hmm. of love song we'll see what happens <laughs> so does that mean you have a basement full of crazy instruments if i had a basement there would be half wine bottles and yes. half crazy instruments okay. um unfortunately i don't not many people do in arizona because of the floods mm. the this is the monsoon season so But i do have a, a couple places where i store some instruments you know i was hoping that there'd be i'm you know i would love to go on a little traveling tour of south america and maybe africa And maybe stopping off on the way back around the whole 
circumference of the of the earth stopping off in india to pick up some various instruments that i've been wanting to pick up for some time whether it be a um uh you know portuguese guitar or maybe a cuban trace um you know these are things that i don't have in my collection <laughs> not that i could really play them very well but sometimes i guess you know the point i'm trying to make is that sometimes all you need is just a little hint of something the mm -hmm. tonal texture or you know the subtlety of a voice from uh you know say like a a japanese koto or something just to kind of give it something different mm -hmm. and if you don't it's okay too you can kind of get creative in coming up with new um unison parts with different instruments for example you know i don't have a i didn't have one of these um kind of bowed chinese uh guitar or chinese like bowed an air who yeah okay. very good wow um i don't have an air who but i've heard that sound and i wanted to emulate it so i bowed a banjo and tried to play it in such a way that didn't sound didn't give it away that it was a banjo so it was a lot of fun trying to come up with different ways you can um you know use ingenuity and creativity to come up with new sounds there's a bunch of little ducklings that are approaching us there's about five and one mama It's, I, this doesn't happen in Tucson very much. I think we might be in danger. <laughs> It feels good. <laughs> All right, and that was uh, Brenda talking to Calexico. Um, Calexico is giving away a, or sorry, their latest CD online for free to anybody who wants it, and uh, so you can get that at uh, Calexico. Here's the address: calexico.cashmusic. Org. And you can download their album for free. You don't even have to give your email. You will not even be spammed by them or anything like that. So uh, check that out. Speaking of um, giving things away, now, uh, now is the time to get your dialing fingers ready as we will be giving uh, away uh, a pair of tickets to the China Tea Deal 3, which is uh, a roaming play that happens at Dr. Sun Yat-sen uh, Gardens. And these are happening every Friday and Saturday for the whole summer, and your tickets are flexible for any of the of the dates. It starts at 7.30 p.m. Or sorry, Saturdays and Sundays. No, yes, at 7.30 p.m. So uh, I'm going to play a little uh, Calexico. Um, and uh, now is the time to call. The number is 604-822-2487. That's 604-822-2487. I'll play some Calexico, and then we'll have Shane Koizan after that. Meet. 
Both sides keeping a close eye for a break in the line here. Okay, that was Colexico with uh, Crystal Frontier. Um, all right, congratulations to Yumi, who got those uh, tickets, snapped them up pretty quickly. See, I told you, you really have to warm up the dialing fingers because um, people move fast for these things. So, um, yeah, congratulations for that. Okay, coming up next, uh, we have Shane Koizan, who was at the Folk Festival himself with his band, The Short Story Long. And um, he uh, um, sort of meandered over to the uh, media tent um, with the, the band. And uh, we had a chat. Uh, we had a chat about, uh, wow, we had a... We covered a lot of uh, different ground. We talked about, uh, well, his friend and fellow um, spoken word artist Jamie DeWolf came up quite a bit. He was on our show a few weeks ago uh, because he was in Vancouver doing a sort of vaudeville-esque twist on a spoken word uh, jam. So as well as uh, a spoken word pieces, there were all these kind of raunchy, you know, um, games that would played. Um, there were short films that were spoofs on, on, uh, on porno films. And uh, they just had a bunch of, um, you know, skits and just had a lot of fun. And some of it sort of went into um, lewd and into the lewd category, and Jamie said that um, it was partly done to sort of keep uh, poetry relevant or keep it fresh. And so, um, so he came up uh, in the interview, so you should know about that. And uh, we also talked about the Olympics and how it had changed his life, if it had uh, changed his life. Sorry, for those who don't know, Shaden Koizan performed at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics here in Vancouver. He was raised up on this big platform that uh, rose up to the top of VC Place, and he did a, a poem about uh, Canadians called We Are More. And, um, and since then, um, he's, uh, he's been sort of rising, a rising star. Uh, let's see, what else should I tell you? Oh, right, so, uh, so there was Shane, uh, and uh, his bandmates uh, in the interview were Maya, Olivia, and then Stefan uh, came over late, and um, so he was a little bit ribbed uh, for arriving late. But, um, yeah, so let's hear that conversation. Sorry, let me move the mic closer to me. Now, um, let's see, now I think there's something else I have to tell you. Which is no, no, I don't have to tell you anything at all. But I do have to pull up the actual interview, uh, which is somewhere on the computer. And uh, ah, there it is. Okay, all right. So uh, here's my interview with uh, Shane Koizan and his band, The Short Story Long. So I'm here at the Folk Fest with Shane Koizan and The Short Story Long. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. <laughs> Fantastical. Wonderful. Good, good words all. Um, Maya had the Lamas one. I Wonderful. What are you thinking? Totally, Least original. Angel astonishing. Yeah. So, uh, Shane, let me, let me start with you. Um, uh, recently I interviewed uh, Jamie DeWolf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he had glowing, glowing words to say about you, and he says that uh, basically you've become such a big star that you don't need to go into the States anymore. Is, is that true? Um, well, I have a hard time. Like, I don't... I kind of left the slam scene quite a while ago just because I wanted to start doing different things and get into sort of the theater aspect of things. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really tour the slam scene anymore, so... Uh, but I love, I still love going down to the States. It's just a question of what gigs I do when I'm down there. So it's not an anti-American kind of thing? Not at all, no. <laughs> There's such great people down there, Jamie being one, one of my favorites. One of, yeah. one of my best friends, Mike McGee, lives in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, oh, okay. so... I love to go when I get a chance to. Mm. This is a great name as well. And uh, now we're joined by uh, Stefan. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Uh, really well. So that's that's now the, the worst. That's now the worst <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. Is it really bad? <laughs> yeah, it's no, really bad. Maya was, Maya's was wonderful, and it just kind of fell off. And now you're doing really well. Good grief. It's funny that you say that uh, that you, you wanted to kind of branch from the slam into more theatrical because Jamie's kind of doing a similar thing mm. um, by doing a sort of vaudevillian act. And um, one of the things that he said was it, he's doing it to sort of keep the, the relevance of, of poetry and to kind of, I don't know, um, keep poetry uh, sort of fresh um, to people these days who kind of consider it kind of stale and... Did, do you think uh, do you think you have that challenge as well? Are, are you reacting to that 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 poetry is sort of not considered very I don't know modern and no that's hip? that's a fair question. You know uh, I think 
a lot of the times, like there are so many preconceptions for preconceived notions that come along with saying the word poetry out loud. Like if you tell your friends, oh, I'm going to a poetry reading, they're just gonna, oh my god, are you serious? Uh, no, I'm gonna stay in and watch reruns of 24. Thank you very much. Um, so the, there is that to get through for sure. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I do agree with Jamie in that way, is where it's like, okay, we're going to try and keep this alive or this, this art form alive. The great thing about the art form itself is that it keeps evolving. It keeps changing. It changes with its surroundings. And I think that's why there's been this resurgence of spoken word. And how about the, the musical component? What does, that, what does that add to your words? I just needed some hot people to back me up while I was on, because I'm not much to look at. Uh, no. Um, I think music adds a certain um, emotional element to the performances, and it, hel it helps carry certain moments. So I've always been a big fan of, you know, like bands like Seeger Rose, where it's like, okay, I can't understand what they're talking about, but this music moves me. Right. And I've always, I've always enjoyed that experience, so I thought, you know, why not take what I do, which people say, oh, your words move me, and add music and see if that takes it a little bit further along. So, right. And um, just throw this to, to any of the three of you. You'll have to fight for it. Um, how does, uh, tell me a bit about the process of how do you make the music or kind of um, complement the words with the music. How does that, how does that happen? Does, does somebody write it uh, beforehand and test it out, or does, do you just improvise? How does it happen? Uh, we do a mixture of things. Um, Maya is a singer-songwriter, so sometimes she already has some pieces that we try to m see if they work with uh, Shane's poetry. Otherwise, we jam, and and sometimes one person has a, a riff or a, a chord progression that they want to work on, and we try and put it along with Shane's poetry. Or he brings us the poetry, and we make music along to it. Okay, so sometimes the music comes first, and then the, the poetry is added to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone else want to add to that? We have to be really sort of careful to be light, a light on the poetry. Uh, I mean, back him up uh, uh, in the best way possible. I mean, other groups I play with, you don't have to be so careful. Uh, it, it's it, We have to keep in our minds that we're just trying to enhance the poetry, and uh, I think we're I think we're quite successful at it. I, I'm, I'm, so is that the challenge to kind of not be too overbearing and not to kind of wash over the music or sorry the words? Absolutely, yeah. That that that's my goal anyway. Uh, to just sort of not 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 go on autopilot or anything, but uh, just sort of bring the emotion and uh, just be nice and simple and yeah, just. Back them up. To, to, to still maintain dynamics in that as well, and also offer this, the songwriting elements that you know. Hopefully, we have strong lyrics when Shane's not speaking his poetry. Then we also have strong lyrics and a strong songwriting element in it. So it is is tricky, but it seems to be and coming along. And require that you look hot while doing Shane's, it. Like, totally pick my nose. Yeah. <laughs> it's radio. Until you said that, no one knew. And now they all know that you picked your nose. That's how great. wonderful, Maya. That was wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. And um, how, did, uh, how did you all come together? How did, uh, how did Shane find you all? Or how did you sh find Shane? I selected a team. I put my team together very carefully. No, I was, uh, I was living in Vancouver for the longest time. I was, I was touring with another band, Tofu, which was C.R. Avery and Mike McGee. Um, but then I moved back to the Okanagan, and um, I hooked up with my friend Maya, and w not sexually, uh, just as friends. Um, and no, because she'd always been like I, I'd known Maya for a long time, and I knew she was a good singer-songwriter, and you know, musically, I thought she was very talented. And so we kind of got together and started jamming with another guy, Aaron Goodwin. And from there, and then I then I met Olivia Menel who I thought was just really sexy, and I was like, I need to have her in my group. And it uh, turns out she plays keyboard and is, has an amazing voice, so that worked out really well. And, uh, and then uh, Aaron left the group, and we were very fortunate enough. We were scared to ask him at first, because we were like, he's not going to want to play with us. He'll never play with us. But uh, Stefan Bienz joined the group and was like, thank you guys so much for including me. So it was a really, uh, it rounded out really well, I think.
Is, is that a direct quote? Thank you so much for, for adding me. You can quote me on that, absolutely. But I, it was funny because a friend of mine asked me, he said, oh, my friends in uh, Shane Poison and the short story long are looking for a bass player. Can you recommend anyone? I went, uh, me. <laughs> I can recommend myself. <laughs> awesome. Um, let me just throw this out there. How has the Olympics changed your life? It hasn't changed. Like I think people, well, it has changed in certain ways, but I think people assume, oh, automatic, you know, sort of stardom or whatever. It's not really like that. There's Sadly, there's not enough, you know, support in place for burgeoning artists, not just in B.C., but in Canada. They've slashed a lot of that sort of uh, funding, so how are you going to get ahead, really? Um, yeah, okay, it was maybe a breakout performance, but what happened after that, you know? I've got a really loyal fan base, and a lot of people travel great distances to even come to a show sometimes. Um, in doing the Olympics, I was afraid that I might possibly lose some of those fans just because of the political ramifications that yeah, and I, come with doing the Olympics. And, and so I waffled on it for quite yeah, a while. Yeah, right. I, I remember here, you, you said that in the, in before, that, that you were kind of conflicted about whether to accept the, the Olympics uh, you know, spotlight or not. Uh, now that it's several months later, have you kind of... Any, any closer to kind of reconciling how you feel about that? Yeah, I'm glad I did it. You know, the bottom line, you know, my my grandmother probably, you know, put it best. You know, she said, once you say no, that's it. It's gone forever. And on it, like, the chance to perform at the Olympics comes around once in a lifetime, unless you're a multi-platinum selling artist. Like, but for a poet, all right, yeah, I'll do it. And I, I, I think also to see spoken word on that kind of stage was, yeah. was pretty, uh, it really changed how people saw that genre, which I think is really important for other spoken word artists too. I mean, it's, you know, just another step towards getting it more recognized. So so you as a, as a fellow artist did not look at him at the Olympics and say, how dare he betray us artists by selling out to the man? No, no, not at all. She saw dollar signs. <laughs> No, I mean, I think I think the more great art that comes out of anywhere is, you know, like I mean, that's if it's quality, it's quality, and I, and I think something like the Olympics is a platform to be able to to do something really quality at. And yeah, Coke sponsored it, but you know, Naya sponsors this. Like I don't know, like whatever. So in terms of the way you kind of uh, see day-to-day -day life and the stuff that inspires your poetry, then you're not, um, you know, post-Olympics, you're not sort of thinking how you're going to, what are you going to write about now that you have a big limo and that you're swimming in a pool of money? That, that sort of thing is just, just not... Do people actually think that? <laughs> yeah. God, I drive a Honda Civic, you know? It's like, no, it's, it's not all Rolls Royces and whatnot. I do Don't well lie, enough. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> I do well enough that I can support myself. I can go see a movie if I want to see a movie, but there's not much beyond that. I think, uh, I forgot what the question was. This is the Olympics and how it's changed you. Basically, it has The thing that's changed the most for me is that people, people now have a frame of reference for what spoken word is. So when they hear, oh, I'm going to a spoken word show, okay, now we, now we kind of know what it is. So that's been the best thing about it. Because before trying to get people out to a show was, you know, You'd have to be a lover of literature, or like the fans that I've had in, like, all along the way. They, you know, they'd seen me grow throughout that sort of time period, so they, so they knew already. But I think now other people might be more inclined to go out and see a spoken word event, or to go see, you know, some live poetry, which is great. And uh, Jamie uh, often includes some uh, raunchy uh, features in his stuff. Um, are you planning to get these guys to do uh, some, some raunchy action? I've tried to get them so. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried Maya to do get... I've tried to get Maya to do raunchy. It just can't happen. It's like, like Maya, why won't you do raunchy? I don't know what raunchy really entails, I guess. I mean, sometimes Shane's version of raunchy is just like, tell this really dumb sex <laughs> joke. And I'm like... It's not necessarily that it's raunchy, just that it's, it's not that funny. Yeah, raunchy? <laughs> Yeah, raunchy, yes or no? Nobody's actually asked me to do any raunch yet. I'm, 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 I'm waiting for to be asked, but I, I don't know. I agree. I agree. 
Yeah. You agree? I'm with you on that one. You've so you, never been asked to do ranch? No. Either? So you guys are ready for some ranch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring on the ranch. <laughs> um, great. And just a final question. What's um, what's next for you as um, uh, writing-wise? Like, what's sort of uh, floating around your head uh, these days? That might be in a, in a, in a spoken word piece soon. Um, well, I've got a couple different projects I'm working on. I've got a new book out that's ready to go, and we're hopefully going to see a release date for that pretty soon. I'm working on a, a movie script for the new Mad Max movie, just writing a part of that. And uh, so that's kind of what's been going on uh, right now. For for my next poem, though, I think I really want to write about hotness and the level of hotness in Vancouver right now. And in your band. And in my band, yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you all. How do you mention it? Thanks for being on the show. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and that was Shane Coisand and um, the short story long. Okay, so um, I did want to play some some color pieces, um, you know, interviews with vendors and such and, and uh, audience members, but uh, man, the clock is just ticking away, so we don't have time. So uh, we're going to play uh, an advert, uh, and when we return... We will move right along to the OCW relaunch party. So stay with us. Hello, Micro. We're at 8,000 feet. Television cold and I'm bored stiff. What about putting on a hot gramophone record to cheer me up? Hello? Hmm? Hello? Is this Harlem 77711? Hello, fellas. This is Duke Ellington. Ah, get it. Boys, let's get sweet and hot. In the opinion of hot music critics, Count Basie has one of the best dance orchestras in the country. King of the clarinet, Artie Shaw, and his orchestra making dance history in the Blue Room of the Hotel Lincoln in New York City. Every Thursday from 10 till noon, join me, your host, Charles Burnham, for Sweet and Hot, a celebration of the 78 RPM record, the three-minute masterpiece, and the golden age of North American songwriting. Hot jazz, swing, and popular music from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. That's every Thursday from 10 till noon, here on CITR 101.9 FM. We are back on the Arts Report here. Now, OCW, formerly One Cool Word magazine, was founded four years ago by Tracy Stefanucci. And uh, it was all done uh, with the intention of finding a new uh, way of doing and expressing uh, different art forms um, you know, through a magazine. So four years later, they've uh, they've learned um, they've they've learned from the school of hard knocks of uh, of publishing a magazine, and they're ready to to relaunch and sort of um, start fresh, just start uh, start uh, again. And uh, so they're throwing a big shindig. And um, so I spoke to Tracy Stefanucci and uh, to find out more about uh, what the magazine does, how things are coming along, and. Um, and I think, uh, where did we start with this conversation? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I guess we'll find out when we play it. If there's some terrible piece of information that, that is critical, I will explain afterward. One Cool Word magazine, which was founded in 2006, is now relaunching as OCW magazine. Um, so it's really taking the spirit of the original magazine and really refining it and catching us up to speed on everything we've learned in the last four years and really implementing, putting that into the publication and everything we're doing mm-hmm. as an organization. So we're about to have a big party and release this magazine out to the world after all this hard work. So, yeah. And so what is, uh, what is OCW um, specialize in? What, uh, what kind of magazine is it? OCW is an art and culture magazine, and um, it's unique in that it's sort of a hybrid art book, literary journal, and magazine with a focus on um, fostering new ways to experience art. So we achieve this through showcasing a variety of artistic disciplines, from music to comedy to art to design to literary work. And also we really encourage people to find new ways to work in old forms. So, for example, the actual magazine, we're really toying with uh, print media. Like, especially in the digital age, we're finding ways to make um, like tangible print media, something people still want to purchase and own and collect. And finding the ways you can play with print to really make something special. And then also in our content, we really challenge people to 
work with things in a new way. So, for example, uh, we have a true fiction contest we're doing this year, and that's getting people to work in the creative nonfiction, but not necessarily prose, memoir, personal essay style, maybe taking it into comics or um, poetry or, you know, being totally experimental, just getting them to really play with that. And mm-hmm. as long as they identify the story as true, then that is eligible. So sort of just getting people to see things in a new way and really, mm-hmm. you know, foster new ways of experiencing art. Cool. And why, yeah. why is that important? What's wrong with the old ways? I is it just because they're old? <laughs> I don't think there's wrong with the old ways. It's yeah. just keeping things fresh, getting yeah. new ideas coming out there, making a contribution to what's happening uh, in arts and culture, and also getting people to start thinking about ways they can participate in creating culture, not just receiving it. That's mm-hmm. also a big part of what we're trying to do is we want people to, um, also our content, we really are aiming to inspire people to take on the creative ventures that they want to be participating in, you know, and, and making people realize that they are creating culture as they create. And how do people get involved? Um, in the magazine or just in, in culture in general? <laughs> well, in culture, that's, that's quite a big question. I won't ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the um, magazine. Well, in terms of the magazine, yeah. if, if people want to contribute work, they can just check out our submissions guidelines um, on our website and then submit work. It's all up there. Um, in terms of getting involved, they can just contact me, mm-hmm. um, info at ocwmagazine.ca, and um, let me know what they care about and how they'd want to be involved. Uh, in terms of participating in creating culture, I think it's exactly that. It's it's actually creating the work that you're inspired to create and, and not following what's already been done, necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to explore and... Um, and really challenge existing ideas and really start a conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me why why the relaunch? What's um, why going from uh, one cool word to OCW? Um, the name itself is partly one cool word became a mouthful, and also uh, people kept mixing up with one, calling it one cool world, which is just really devastating, <laughs> terrible title. So it was just like every time you heard it, you'd cringe. You're like, oh my god, I'm sorry, I mean one cool word. And you're like, oh, I hate that. Yeah. So um, I actually had a big process trying to come up with a new name that fit, and nothing fit right, and no one agreed on anything. It was so hard, and finally we were all like, is it okay to just be OCW magazine? Or we really hashed out what that would mean, and, and really decided to go with that uh, in the end, and we've all been really excited about that name. Um, but in terms of the whole relaunch in general, mm-hmm. um, it was actually Jen Neal, our uh, managing editor's idea. We were just having a meeting probably about a year ago and just realized, you know, our energy was sort of hitting a lull for the project. And I think it was because we learned so much and the magazine and its operations hadn't really caught up to everything we'd learned in four years. Mm-hmm. Um, going from having no experience in publishing to now having four years of just sort of diving in and figuring it out, you know? so. Mm-hmm that learning process happened and that's sort of what one cool word represents to me and then now it's taking everything we've learned and and using that to really make the magazine that we are intending to make and that we really believe in and feel really strongly about great and um tell me a bit about the uh, the party coming up on friday the party is going to be really awesome we're really excited about it so um the first part of the night is going to be comedy and improv. We've got a lot of really great people. Um, we've got Jai Harris and uh, Sunday Service. We've got Man Hussey, Bronx Cheer, Ivan Decker. I know Chris Casillo is also going to jump in with Sunday Service. So there's a lot of great... Oh, and Nights of the Night was a, a more recent addition. Um, and then later on, there's going to be music. So there's Parlor Steps, who are part of the Peak Performance Project. They're really great. And they actually played our very first release party, our launch party. Mm. So it's kind of interesting there. And then also Wilderness Year is an elephant train. And later on in the night, Vincent Parker will be um, performing music with live visuals by Piss and Vinegar. So it's a, a nice mix of comedy and music and art, which I think really represents the magazine. And it's a lot of people we really are inspired by, so it's great to celebrate this sort of kickoff with the people who really represent what we care about, people who are out there doing what they love and trying new things and making a real contribution to what's happening. Awesome. Well, um, best of luck with the, uh, with the party and, and the publishing. Thank you. Okay, that was Tracy Stefanucci. I did not forget anything that was important uh, to say there. You know, sometimes uh, the interview just kicks in, um, answering a question, 
so that's why I was concerned. I was concerned on your behalf as a as a listener, but uh, nothing forgotten there. Um, Tracy did mention the address info at ocwmagazine.com if you want to become a contributor or to showcase your art or get uh, involved in making new. Um, creating new ways of, of expressing your art. Uh, that's info at ocwmagazine.com. Uh, now, the launch, the relaunch party is Friday, this Friday, July 23rd. It's at the Rickshaw Theater, which is on East Hastings uh, Street. Tickets are $15, but that gets you a subscription to the magazine as well. And I should tell you who's uh, involved. I think she read it, but I'll, I'll say it again. There's, a, there's a, just a night of, of much, of much um, merriment, including parlor steps and wild, wilderness, excuse me, wilderness years, elephant train, and Vincent Parker with live visuals by Piss and Vinegar, the comedy of Charlie Demare, uh, Graham Clark, the Sunday service, Bronx Cheer, Man Hussey, Ivan Decker, and MC Jai Harris. Okay, and I mentioned uh, Vincent Parker there, who was on the show last week, and I erroneously mentioned that his album was available for free on his website. Um, that is not the case, and so to clear up, um, to sort of celebrate the clearing up of that confusion, um, Vincent has been uh, very gracious to offer a copy of uh, his disc. So we will give that away right now. So get that dialing finger ready again, and this time uh, maybe you'll get through. Uh, the number is uh, 604-822-2487, and you'll get a copy of Vincent Parker's uh, CD. It's sort of a, a, a techno... Oh, boy, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to say it's electronic music because if I put labels on it, people will get angry. Um, so, yeah, that number again is 604-822-2487, and uh, we'll go to a break, and when we return... We will talk about uh, three plays coming to the Carousel Theatre, including one called Play by Samuel Beckett, and, um, and two others, including Out of the Flying Pan and Little Brother, Little Sister. So stay with us. We'll be back. CITR 101.9 FM is proud to support the Enchanted Evenings concert series at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden in Vancouver. The series runs from July 9th to September 3rd every Friday evening. Come and enjoy a diverse array of world music while sampling food selected specifically to complement the music. Of the series' nine concerts, the first four are in July. On July 9th, the series kicks off with the Birds of Paradox. Combining Western Chinese and Indian music, Delana Gale Bowen with her sultry blues, jazz and gospel on July 16th, Ocean of Sound with their percussion-based music on July 23rd, and the Vancouver Piano Ensemble on July 30th. Tickets are $20 and $18 for Garden members. A season's pass is only $135, with a savings of $45. For tickets and information, call 604-662-3207, extension 210, and visit VancouverChineseGarden.com for a full listing of upcoming concerts. The Enchanted Evenings Concert Series at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden in Vancouver, every Friday from July 9th to September 3rd. Okay, we're back here on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Okay, so um, coming off the heels of their recent performance at the Shift One Act Performing Arts Festival. Did I say that right? Shift One Act, the Shift One Act Festival. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, and... Um, uh, these plays are now coming to the Carousel Theatre here in Vancouver. So from Port Moody to Vancouver. And uh, the first one that uh, we'll be talking about is called Play by Samuel Beckett. It was directed, or it is directed by Laura Holmes, who I spoke to. And she told me about uh, the show, which is encapsulated, it is described as jealousy, rage, suffering, desperation, when some of the ugliest human emotions are the only ones you can remember, how long would it take you to break down? Um, yeah, I've, uh, I have seen this play, and I can um, 
I can tell you a little bit. Uh, I won't steal uh, Laura's thunder because uh, she'll, she'll tell me about it and tell you about it in the interview. But um, it's about uh, adultery and it's about uh, a man and his two uh, love interests. And they are forced to, to uh, go over the same incident um, or the same relationship between the three of them over and over again forever. Um, yeah, why am, I, why am I talking when, uh, when Laura could be? Could be. So uh, I'll be quiet now. And, um, and here's that interview. So, play. What is it about? What can you say about um, about a synopsis? Uh, being a Beckett play, that's a pretty big question. Yeah. And harder, <laughs> harder than usual, but can you give it a stab? It's about three people who are dead, and they're stuck in purgatory, and they're just kind of having to relive their sins, I guess you could say, over and over again. Mm-hmm. Until they get out of purgatory, if they ever do. Now, and you've already done this show once at the at the Shift um, Shift Festival. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about what it looked like for describe for radio. What is the what do audiences see when the lights come up? Uh, when the lights come up, you see three urns on stage with um, people in them, mm-hmm. and like just the actors' heads, really, mm-hmm. and some shoulders, and then lights like flash around and stuff. Let's dive into the challenges of doing a Beckett show. Because I understand the the Beckett Foundation um, are really, really um, strict about how the shows can be done. Can you tell us a bit about um, their demands? Well, like when Beckett was alive, he was really crazy about no one changing anything from his stage directions to like he has got everything involved in the show like written down to like a T. Like he wants it done a certain way, and if you change that. They come after you. So yeah, if you're like a big production, the contract says that you can't like cast men instead of women or vice versa, and that you can't cut anything out of the play or add anything, and you mm-hmm. can't change the lights, and you can't change the setup, and you can't change like you can't change anything mm-hmm. really at all. And so that's what the sign contract that we had to sign, which mm-hmm. was fun. I changed things. No, don't say <laughs> don't don't say that. The Beckett police will come after you. I don't think they care about me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and. Tell me a little bit about the what were some of the challenges for the actors um, and for you maybe um, in in rehearsal. What's the hardest part about uh, doing play? Uh, other than the speed at which they're supposed to talk and still be understood. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, well, they are supposed to talk very. It's called a rapid tempo. Mm. But all the examples that I've ever seen of play, they're talking like really fast, so that the first time through you just can't really understand it. You catch certain words, but yeah. Um, so they had to really be on there the diction and pronunciation and stuff, which took quite a while. We do tongue twisters every day for like half an hour at rehearsal. <laughs> so yeah, once they got past that, it was really just delving deep enough into the play to make it make sense to them, because it's kind of a convoluted play that doesn't give you any information about anything. You just kind of have to figure it out. Okay, and um, tell us then, reveal reveal Beckett's secrets. What is what is the underlying theme, or what is the message of uh, of? A- play is it uh, don't don't cheat on your spouse i don't know if it's necessarily don't cheat on your spouse but i i think it's a play about like human emotions that maybe sometimes get overwritten or just kind of written off if that makes any sense like i think it's really about jealousy and and rage and desperation and like really strong human emotions that people kind of think aren't always there but Um, then they kind of screw you over in the end obviously if you're stuck in purgatory forever because of them mm. (laughs) okay and cheating is bad don't (laughs) that's the bottom line (laughs) cheating is bad don't do it (laughs) all right we'll break some legs thank you all right that was laura holmes talking about play um yes the beckett police is uh, is on the line now they are they are on their way to um to arrest laura um it's really quite tragic. No, no, that's not the case. Um, all right, next, uh, the next play we have on the docket is Out of the Flying Pan. This one is one of two plays being brought by Working Class Theatre to, uh, to this production at the Carousel. I spoke to Tristan Bacon, who is the director of both Out of the Flying Pan and uh, Little Brother, Little Sister. He's also, he also acts in the show Out of the Flying Pan. And um, as you'll hear, uh, there was uh, Tristan uh, explains or, or delves into a little bit of controversy uh, that arose uh, at the Shift Festival about the choice of uh, casting the the role of the the cook, who is sort of a, a mother figure, um, having uh, having a male play uh, that role. So here's uh, 
here's us talking about uh, these two shows. Uh, give us a sort of uh, on the surface synopsis. What is it sort of what happens in it on the surface? Well, on the surface, what happens in it is uh, two politicians screw up and blow up the world. <laughs> and that's it. That's basically it. That's the whole premise of the show. Okay. So underneath that, then, uh, give us a sense of um, what's really being said. Well, the idea behind doing the show was uh, kind of a look for me at how the layman views the political process at the level we don't see and how, I mean, most of the show is done in gibberish, gibberish. So it's a lot like nothing means anything and people just blow up for no reason. Right. I think honestly, somehow there's like a peace and love element to it because mm. you look at it, it's a cautionary tale. This is all about pride. This is about blind nationalism. This is about, you know, not looking before you leap and making these rash decisions. And at a political level, that's what happens. The world gets screwed up. These people who control the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the show because you guys did it at the uh, Shift Festival, and um, it really seems to require um, high energy. To yeah. Say the least. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, because you're not only the director, but you're also in it. That's right. With yeah. um, Michael Michael Fensky. Fensky. Um, tell me a little bit about the process the two of you had to uh, go through to make the show. Well, originally the show uh, the show actually first premiered at Chilliwack Directors Festival. Mm. This year, so uh, we had a chance to we had a chance to take it there, and it was almost like a workshop for the Shift Project and for the Granville Island Project, which is coming up. Um, so, I mean, the rehearsal period when we did it for Chilliwack, we had another actor named uh, Glenn Crossley working on the part, and when we did it there, he did a very good job of it. But unfortunately, the man's kind of in demand in the indie theater scene, so he can't make it for uh, for either of the remounts. And I was the only one who really knew it well enough to step in and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the process for getting it off the ground with those two were was very, very intense because we worked 60 hours on a 15-minute show. Mm. And, I mean, the advantage to doing a 15-minute show was we could do a night where we did six runs. Nice. And the show was so dialed in by the end of it, and, you know, everyone was, everyone was really, really rooting for it because we knew we had something special. Mm. Cool. All right, now let's turn to Little Brother, Little Sister. Yes. And uh, same question as before. What's, what's happening on uh, the surface? Uh, two... Uh, two younger, well, two kids are growing up. They're finally experiencing adulthood, and uh, they have no one to turn to but themselves and their crazy cook who lives in uh, a bomb shelter with them for fear of radiation in what could be nuclear England. Okay, so right, so these two sort of adolescents, and then there's this cook, and they're all sort of uh, encapsulated in a in a in a bomb shelter. That's and, right, and yeah. that's the only thing the kids have ever known, right? That's right. They've been raised their whole lives there. Um, so, what's going on? Give us a sense of some of the themes that um, are percolating underneath that that structure. Uh, innocence and sexual discovery, and uh, the old old versus the new. Like, how does this cook uh, use her ancient heritage? She's, she's described as an impossibly old and fragile creature. And uh, how does her old world views on? sex, on love, on being loved, on innocence, on virtue, and how to stay proper, conflict with the uh, almost nature versus nurture idea that these kids have, which is they have they have nothing. They only have their impulses. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, a guy playing the, the role of the cook. Yeah. Tell me about what uh, what led to that decision. Well, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of flack for it, which is kind of funny, I mean, actually, because I'm glad, I'm glad I have, because it's made me look at my choices. But, um, you know... It's uh, the idea behind it was in the script is actually written that the part is written for a man for one thing, uh, but you know I had I had some choices for female actress or for female actresses to play the cook, but it never really had the right feel. So when I looked at uh, a male actor playing it, what I really found was that Cook is playing two sides of the same coin. She's playing the father figure and the mother figure, and she's slowly going insane. You can see these two things uh, course through her personality, kind of like waves. She's done something horrible to their father and mother uh, prior to the action in the script, and now she has to fulfill both roles as, like, nurturer and punisher, almost. So without giving away the ending, um, what, uh, what is achieved in the end? What is, what is learned? What is, um, what, um, what is the consequence that, that we as an audience sort of are meant to take out of it? That escape can be beautiful. Moving on to new things can be beautiful. 
the show is so stagnant. It's built that way. It's built to be in this bomb shelter, and nothing happens until the most amazing thing happens, and it's them getting out. Okay. Break legs? Thanks, man. Okay, that was Tristan Bacon talking about Out of the Flying Pan and Little Brother, Little Sister. Uh, all right, so the shows are going up uh, on July the 27th, which is next week, till the 31st of July. The showtimes are 8 p.m. at the Carousel Theatre, which is on Granville Island. Tickets are $18 for adults, 15 for students, and you can purchase tickets uh, online. And you can get lots more information at the lovely uh, Shift Performing Arts Society website, which is simply shiftarts.ca. Um, yeah, and you can get all the information there. Okay, moving right along to Kinky Friedman. Kinky Friedman is an American singer, songwriter, novelist, humorist, politician, and former columnist for Texas Monthly, who styles himself in the mold of popular American satirists Will Rogers and Mark Twain. I spoke to him uh, from his home, I believe, in Austin, and uh, we talked about um, him starting his tour right here in Vancouver, as well as we talked about uh, some politics, because he has run for um, several political positions over the last few years. And uh, we'll talk about an interesting uh, theory that he has that happy people, people with happy childhoods, uh, are not very, are not as successful. Uh, they don't achieve as much as people with, um, with uh, misfortune in their lives, because misfortune uh, is more inspirational. So, yeah, interesting theory. Um, have a listen now wait just stay with me here as i as i prep it here all right i've got it up now so here is my conversation with uh kinky friedman ahead of his show at the biltmore cabaret on monday here we go great all right mr kinky friedman thanks for uh being on the show great to be here adam now um i understand you're starting your tour here in vancouver the go west young kinky 2010 is that right is um <laughs> That's correct. And I wonder, um, what, uh, why do we have that honor of being the first stop on your tour? Is it just sort of logistical convenience? Well, no, I've always had a, a soft spot in my heart for Vancouver. And uh, it's a beautiful place. And I think uh, Canadians may appreciate me more than Americans. <laughs> why do you say that? Why don't Americans appreciate you? Well, uh, I think Americans, the Texans don't. You know, I mean, it's a prophet in his own country. That's the problem. It's uh Every time I leave Texas, I do well. And uh, when I ran for governor in 2006 as an independent, I think that uh, we won that race every place but Texas. <laughs> Which is where you were running, right? Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about that. Um, so you've ran uh, for governor twice, and you also ran for agriculture commissioner. Is that right? And, uh, well, and now you, you understand, Adam, if you, if you fail at something long enough, you become a legend. <laughs> is that, was that your goal in the end, is just to become a legend <laughs> through the, the running? Well, in Texas, I already was, you know. Yeah. I, could, I could almost run for office. I'm so popular. Now, but uh, <laughs> the Democrats were, uh, you know, a little too much self-interest, I think. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. both political parties, I can do without. And you have said that you won't run for politics again. Is that true? Well, no, I most likely won't. Uh, you know, but there's the Pope wear humorous-looking hat, you know. Uh, as long as Willie Nelson keeps playing, maybe, maybe I will run again. But right now, I think music is a better vehicle for the truth than politics. Mm -hmm. And uh, so going back to your tour, I'm curious about the title, Go West, Young Kinky. Um, you know, you've had a very long career, and I would imagine any artist um, has different sort of ebbs and flows, and, and what inspires you kind of changes and, and morphs as time goes by. So I'm wondering what's, um, what's sort of inspiring you with this tour, or what's sort of like your, your, your thesis as you're going into this? Well, you know, I'm, I am starting to get a little OLD, Adam. <laughs> I'm uh, 65 years old, so I, I read at the 67-year-old uh, level. <laughs> And, uh, in fact, I've worked out my last will and testament. Uh, when I die, I am to be cremated, and the ashes are to be thrown in Governor Rick Perry's hair. <laughs> oh, my. So that's... Uh, I'm guessing uh, you, you feel... Know, I'm guessing I haven't you done feel... this in a very long time, been, been on the road like this. this is, I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm guessing you feel rather strongly about Governor Perry. 
You feel very strong. You have very strong uh, feelings toward uh, Governor Perry, not necessarily positive ones. Well, I'm not bitter, you know. I just <laughs> think that uh, we got Rick Perry and we got Bill White, the Democrat. Mm. It's a uh, classic choice of paper or plastic, and <laughs> both of them, both of them are for the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And I have been speaking out against the death penalty for a long time now. And when I speak to the Christians. The Christians in Texas, I always say, that I apologize, I'm sorry you have to hear this from a Jew, but remember, folks, that's who you heard it from the first time. <laughs> that's true. Um, you've said that uh, a happy childhood is the worst preparation for life. Um, did you have a happy childhood, and was it, was it, did it prepare you badly? Of course I had a happy childhood, and uh, that's one of my problems. Uh, if I'd had an unhappy childhood... I think I, I might have been uh, not so naive about things. And I think, uh, you know, nothing great was ever created by somebody who, who felt good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's usually Oscar Wilde or Hank Williams. Miserable, miserable lives. Uh, miserable people, you know, who create great stuff. And uh, that's just the fact of it. And happiness is the enemy. I fight it at every turn <laughs> as an artist. And to paraphrase Oscar Wilde, uh, to die, to fail, and die young is the only way to remain an artist. But I'm trying. So then, I guess let me ask you, what makes you unhappy? You know, like what, and I'm thinking, you know, what inspires you as an artist? So I guess what's, what are these um, unhappy things that kind of uh, inspire you and keep you going? Well, this phone connection is making me unhappy. Uh, but, uh, but that's probably my cell phone here, which... Uh, fell in the toilet uh, about a week ago. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. And uh, I was trying to get the damn thing out, and it was very early in the morning. It's a very unpleasant experience. So, All right, well, let me... Right now, can you hear me at all, Adam? I can yeah. hear you. I can hear you very well. I mean, it's, it's just a little choppy on, on my end. You sound like an angry, angry little uh, uh, bee, right? <laughs> so sorry. Uh, I'm usually a happy bee. Um, okay, well, I'm a happy bee, too, and that's... What worries me. I'm entirely too happy these days. But uh, we're going to do, uh, we'll also do a reading from the books, uh, Heroes of a Texas Childhood, and we'll have books available to be signed after the show, and I'll sign anything but bad legislation. Great. Well, I, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for this, uh, for this interview, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you here at the, uh, the Biltmore. Adam, it's a pleasure, and if you don't love Jesus, go to hell. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. We'll see you. See okay. you. Well, I am happy to be inspiring Kinky Friedman by, uh, by my bad phone connections, or maybe his bad phone connections. Okay, well, that's the end of our show. We are a uh, few minutes over time. I hope the CITR police doesn't come after me for being over time. Uh, before we run off, uh, the fireworks are on tonight um, for the next little while, every Wednesday and Saturday night. Uh, tomorrow, there's also an outdoor movie night going on um, at Stanley Park. The movie is Monsters vs. Aliens, which, uh, which is the animated film. And it starts at 9.30 p.m. And this is at, uh, at Seeperly Fields, Seeperly Fields, uh, basically Second Beach in Stanley Park. So that's uh, tomorrow, Thursday at 9.30 p.m. You can watch uh, outdoor outdoor movie. That's kind of cool. And uh, quickly I'll tell you about Enchanted Evenings, which um, are, again, at the uh, Sun Yat-sen Chinese uh, Gardens Enchanted Evening Concert Series. Um, which includes uh, July 23rd, uh, Ocean of Sound, July 30th, Vancouver Piano Ensemble, August 6th, 6th Silk Road uh, Music, uh, which will be broadcast live, and uh, tickets are $20. Um, you can also get a season pass for 135 bucks and save $45. Uh, it runs from uh, Fridays. It runs Fridays from July 9th till September 3rd. Tickets, uh, or sorry, doors open at 7 p.m. It begins at 7:30. Delight in the sounds of world music performed by an exquisite Ming in an exquisite Ming Dynasty style garden. Uh, okay, so that is uh, that is all. Oh yes, uh, info is at vancouverchinesegarden.com. All right, so that's the end of our show. 
today. Join us again next week, uh, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Uh, please subscribe to the uh, podcast, which you'll find on the website under shows. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We are CITR underscore Arts Report. And uh, if you have any arts events coming up, uh, please do please do give us a shout at arts at citr.ca. Uh, feedback is also welcome to arts at citr.ca. Real to Real is next. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Well, the sun's going down.